What's up, y'all? I'm Dr. Craig Waleed, your host here on the Prison to Promise podcast, where I explore strategies formerly incarcerated people use to build a life of promise and avoid a return to prison. On this episode, I'm joined by the good brother, Travis Abercrombie. This brother aims to positively influence and rehab the minds of men, women, and children affected by mass incarceration. He is an author, teacher, curriculum developer, and motivational speaker with 10 plus years of experience helping people impacted by mass incarceration and the criminal legal system succeed inside and outside of prison. How about that, y'all? While doing a 10-year prison sentence, Travis was influenced by the teachings of two other incarcerated men, Lester Young and Lee Nelson, to know oneself and how to communicate with others appropriately and to understand one of human beings' most extraordinary powers, which is the power of choice. We cannot afford to miss this conversation where Travis repeatedly describes the influence and power one's thinking has on the reality and their outcomes. <laughs> so yeah, it's good to see you, bro. And um thanks for reaching out to me, following up with me and making this happen. Yes, sir. And, you know, what this is all about is the Prison of Promise podcast, getting stories from brothers and sisters who've been behind the wall, um, who may still be on paper, on parole or probation, but who are pursuing a life of promise post-incarceration. And so that's why I got you here, you know, to hear your story with ultimate goal or the ultimate aim of sharing this story with other people who've been incarcerated with hopes of um, encouraging them um, and helping them to uh, maybe have some light shown upon a roadmap or a path that they can choose for themselves to find success. So right, right. Okay. I definitely appreciate that. I like what you're doing. It's yeah. a pretty good platform to be uh, going off of. A lot yeah. of people don't really want to share their story. And a lot of other people end up going down the same road because so, they don't have anything to sort of compare their situation to. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, I got locked up. So before you start there, tell the folk who you are, where you at. All right, so my name is Travis Abercrombie. I'm from South Carolina, uh, specifically Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, I'm the owner and founder of Resurgence Post-Conviction Rehabilitation Program. Mm. Uh and basically what I do is I've written my own workbook and I try to help with the cognitive therapy side of rehabilitation. Mm. It's easy to tell people, hey, I need you to change. Right. And it's easier for them to stop doing a particular behavior. But what's not easy is knowing what behavior to replace that with. Mm-hmm. So that's why I come in. That's why I focus on. Uh, and this originated while I was doing my incarceration of 10 years in the Department mm-hmm. of Corrections here in South Carolina. Dig it. And so what made you want to do this type of um, work that you're doing? Uh, really just, first of all, doing it for myself. Yeah. Uh, once I got incarcerated, I realized that I myself was in a deficit. Mm. Something was not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so I had to sit down with myself and sort of figure out what led me to make the decisions that I made that landed me in the Department of Corrections. Yeah. So it was more of an inward, outward moment. Yeah. So I really had to figure out what was going on with me. Yeah. And it wasn't until I sort of, I want to say, I don't say finished, but mastered yeah. that particular phase of it. Yeah. And I started to say, you know what, now that I've learned this, let me see what I can do for other people. Yeah, because plenty of other people who were around you in the penitentiary, I'm almost certain, though we were in different penitentiaries in different states, the, the, the symptoms are the same. And that is probably that they needed the same kind of help. And right. it was their thinking that got them in prison as well, in most cases. Right. And it's that same thing that keeps us in there. Absolutely. Because, you know, you yourself know, like even getting out and finishing your bid, mm -hmm. you come home, if you haven't freed your mind, you're still incarcerated. Mm -hmm. You're still living life on the street as if you still are represented by a six digit number. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, it makes me think of that song them girls sang back in the day. I think there was uh, in vogue and they said, free your mind and your ass will follow. Mm hmm. There mm -hmm. you go. And and that's just that's the facts. Uh, so, like I say, that's that's mainly what I focus on. Yeah. But like I said, I spent 10 years. Mm -hmm. The first year or so, maybe first two years, again, was just my self-reflection, really just trying to get me right. Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up meeting a guy, two guys, matter of fact, mm -hmm. uh, through a mutual friend. Somebody, I think you might know this guy. You see him on LinkedIn a lot, uh, Lester Young. Yeah, yeah. I did time with Lester Young. Yeah. And while we were incarcerated, he had this program called the Outright Program. It was him and another gentleman by the name of Lee Nelson. Mm-hmm. And what they were doing, well, they was taking material like crucial conversations, crucial accountability, uh, seven habits of highly effective people, mm -hmm. uh, courses like that. And they were mass teaching it. Mm -hmm. So I sat in through an invite and I was like, Man, this is needed. Yeah. Really needed because how many of us don't know how to communicate one with another? Right. Fighting in the sales because. Mm -hmm. You know, we upset about one thing, but we don't know how to articulate it right. to our cellmate or we're at odds with the officers because we don't know how to articulate how mm -hmm. we're really feeling or how they're making us feel. Yeah. So once I seen it and I felt it for myself and it was just like, man, one, they're addressing the need that I want to address. Mm -hmm. So I took every class they had. Yeah. So it was just like, man, pour into me. Let me let me get it all. And the more I did that, and the more I, they sort of opened up the door for me to be able to get up and, in a sense, speak my truth and yeah. be able to teach some of these lessons. And I, I just really held on to that mm -hmm. because I was seeing lives change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being incarcerated, it's not, you know, one of those things that you see, oh, man, this guy just did a 360. no. When you deal with incarceration, it's more gradual. Yeah. You're not looking for instantaneous, hey, I'm better type deal. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Yeah. Because it took us, like for me, I was 21, 22. So it took me 21, 22 years to get the way I was. It's not going to take me, you know, five years to redirect that all the way. That's right. So it's still a process for me now. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I teach people, you know, with my curriculum. It's a process. Mm -hmm. I developed a workbook that you can sit down with, but it's going to take you about a year or so to finish. You just yeah. can't finish it in a month. You can't yeah. finish it in six months because it's all about your self-reflection. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that takes time. And I yeah. think about, you know, anything that's worthwhile, it's going to take time to do and do right. Right. And these processes that we go through are reflected in nature. You know, when nature goes through its full process is when it produces, you know, the best outcomes, be it, you know, um, flowers or fruit or, you know, the sun going through its full cycle, whatever it is, when it goes to its full cycle. Right. Then we can say this thing is complete. Right. And, you know, for us, you know, one of the key things when it comes to rehabilitation, because I, I, I like that cycle picture, mm -hmm. but you got to figure out where you fit in in the cycle yeah, and you got to figure out who you are in the cycle. Absolutely. Because it's different for humans than it is for plants. This is true. Right. So mm -hmm. it's like you got to figure out where you are in that particular cycle. That way you know how to go about your process. Right, where to start. Because a lot of times we can be doing the wrong thing thinking mm -hmm. that we're helping ourselves or we're actually hurting ourselves Yeah, mm -hmm. because we don't know who we are in the process. And I think that that piece, and you said that multiple times within the last minute, who we are, who am I? And I think about, you know, one of the, the first tenets of the uh, ancient comedic people was man, know thyself. You know, before mm. you knew how to read, write, do anything, they wanted people to know themselves. Right, right. It's a must. And mm -hmm. the only time that you really get to do that is that self-reflection, that personal time. Mm -hmm. And I think we handicap ourselves out here in society because we mm. really don't have that alone time. Mm. Something's always going on. Either you're working, you're dealing with kids, mm -hmm. you're taking care of the home, whatever you're doing, there's mm -hmm. always something going on. Yeah, yeah. So you don't really have that time to just sit back and be like, so what's leading me to this? What's making me do this? Mm -hmm. uh, what can I integrate into my life now to make me better than I am today? You yeah. don't have those times. Well, you but, know, I would say we don't make that time. Because indeed. I think that, you know, because we live such uh, highly distracted lives with mm -hmm. a multiplicity of things going on, as you just detailed, it makes it difficult to find that time. Right. But it's not a necessity. It seems not to be, but as you indicated, it really is, mm -hmm. you know, because that's how we can become more empowered and more knowledgeable about what we need and what we can do and where we need to go. Right. One of my mentors, he always talked about, you know, um, his name is Dr. Muhaddin Shakur, and he talks about, you know, finding time for stillness, mm. for silence, to reflect. And he said, and if you can't find that time, you know, just turn off your phone and sit for 10 minutes or go for a walk without browsing your phone. You know, you don't always have to sit and meditate, but you just need some alone time, some quiet time. Right. You know? And that was one of the things that I learned uh, while listening to some of what Lester was teaching while I was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. In the book of Seven Habits, one of the things that they point out is about urgency. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, the doctor mentioning being able to go for a walk, yeah, but without browsing your phone. Mm -hmm. What happens when your phone goes off and you're out here walking? Mm -hmm. We tend to look at it. Mm -hmm. But just because it goes off doesn't mean it's urgent. It doesn't mean this is a right now thing. It doesn't mean that it demands my attention. That's right. But we give it our attention. That's right. And when you get incarcerated, it's forced upon you. That stillness, mm -hmm. that... Mm -hmm sense of man i need to figure something out is actually forced upon us because now you're just sitting in the cell 
You can't yeah, leave yeah. when you want to. You can't. Right. Well, you can't pick up a phone. But typically, uh -huh. if you don't have those means, you're not going about that way either. Absolutely. And so you're, you're forced to be with yourself, by yourself mm -hmm. in that cell. And, you know, some folks just can't deal with that. So they find other types of distractions. So they never find this, this healing in this direction. Because right. as you know, there's lots of things behind the wall to distract us. Right. And this is one of the main reasons why you see a lot of men and a lot of women who, once they find themselves distracted, because mm -hmm. they don't want to deal with self, they mm -hmm. go out and they distract others. Yep. You know, whether it be just being on the rock, watching TV, in the game room, or for some, violence is a distraction. Mm -hmm. So they go and they mess with other people who may not be messing with anybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's weird how we go about this thing. And it's like, even now, we still have distractions, mm -hmm. but we are choosing which distractions we give our attention to. Yes, sir. And the power of choice is something that a lot of us don't even recognize we have. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is the strongest tool, you know, given to man. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. I can choose to be this way. Yeah. I can choose to do this today. Mm -hmm. I can choose to do this tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, I, I want to do a business. I can choose to make this business successful. I can just let it die. I think that's what really separates us from other creatures in in on the earth is our mm -hmm. ability to make, you know, long range decisions, mm -hmm. you know, not just instantaneous, but long range decisions, choices. And that's what sets us up for success post incarceration or failure. I think right. matter. We get to use our imagination. Bam. That's one of the main things that, you know, I think we shut off. Mm -hmm. We start going down that spiral mm -hmm. that leads us, you know, to a life of crime or mm -hmm. to an instance of crime. Because sometimes it's mm -hmm. not just a lifelong behavior. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just in that instance, you make mm -hmm. the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. We lack imagination. We don't exercise that because being able to make that choice. And as you said, like the long range, mm -hmm. you got to use your imagination to see mm -hmm. what the possible outcomes are yeah, for man. whatever decision you're going to make. And it's when we chess, fail to use that imagination, it kills us. It's chess. It's chess. Yeah. You know, not just one square. It's the next three squares. Yeah. Even four. Yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating that you brought that up because majority of the time people rather play checkers. Yes, sir. But yes, chess is actually the game that we need to be focused on. Chess is the game of life. Checkers right. is fun to play. Yeah. And it's easy to win. Yeah. However, chess requires you to use your mind. Chess doesn't. And I'm telling you, when I was incarcerated in New York State's prison, I might have been in on my fourth or fifth year. And this older brother, we called him Panama. He knew how to play chess. I said, man, teach me this game. And that's just what he was telling me. This thing is life. Mm -hmm. Life. And so I learned chess. I'm not the best at it, but I understood the concept and I began right. to apply it not only to my bid, but even thinking outside of the walls, seeing mm -hmm. myself outside of the walls, manifesting it in my head even before it happened. Right. And you that's know? that's real key because, you know, a lot of men and a lot of women that are incarcerated they have family, mm -hmm. whether it be mother, father, daughter, mm -hmm. son, they have family outside and they're waiting for us to return home mm -hmm. and actually do something with ourselves. Yeah, man. And that really became like a reality for me because when I came home, nobody knew how to deal with me. 
Mm. It was like, man, you've been gone for 10 years. We don't really know how to approach you. Yeah. And you ain't the same old dude. I ain't the same dude. And for me, it was a good thing. Yes, sir. But to them, it was scary. Yep. Because now I come out and I sort of have a different demeanor. I'm not mm -hmm. aggressive or anything, but it's just like, I'm not used to this. So how do we go about dialogue? How do we go about building mm -hmm. and rebuilding these relationships? Because we don't really know how to approach you. And some of you. In some of these relationships, I would imagine you lost. Yes. You know? And I had to let them go. Uh -huh. See, and, and you know, I spent a good bit of my bid trying to determine who to keep and who to let go. Mm. And I actually wasted time. Mm. And the reason I say I wasted time is because if that's supposed to be beneficial for me, trying to choose what relationships I keep and which ones I let go of mm -hmm. isn't beneficial because they will move themselves. Mm -hmm. You come home, they don't want to be around you. They remove themselves. It's yeah. your job. The only thing you got to focus on is not chasing them back down. That's right. Not bringing them back. That's right. So when it comes to like rehabilitation, this whole re-entry mindset that I see going on on LinkedIn mm -hmm. now, it really kind of amazes me because before I got incarcerated, this movement wasn't that big. Right. But now it seems like, you know, every time I jump on LinkedIn, I see somebody doing re-entry and it's like, mm -hmm. man, that's great. There's oh. no jealousy. There's no envy because mm -hmm. we're all in this field, but we're all doing something different. We're all reaching a different audience. That's right. That's and right. It's like what you're doing is you're allowing, you know, you're reaching out, you you're doing that olive branch yeah. type deal. Hey, listen, let me bring you in, let you speak, because mm -hmm. my audience will probably love to hear you and Absolutely. vice versa. So it's just like, man, we have to continue that, you know, each one teach one. Each one and, reach, and reach the masses. Because Absolutely. we're talking about trying to kill off mass incarceration. How do we think we're going to do that if we're only worried about us? Right. Holding it in my corner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this it's is... Not, the, it's not how it works. No, no, no. We have to... You know, it makes me think of the, the old adage, and they say, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know? It's one bite at a time, you know? But everybody got to be biting. Right. Everybody got to be chewing at it. Right. And, you know, right. one of the things that I learned where they was talking about this like pie principle. Mm -hmm. Everybody's trying to get a piece of the pie. Yeah. Very rarely do they understand that they can just bake another one. Yeah, oh, come on, man. <laughs> like you, you done took six pieces one. and I'm like, yeah. man, you ain't leaving me nothing. Yeah. Well, I can go bake another one. That's right. And I can get six pieces of that. Right. So we both still win. Right. It's just gonna take a little bit more time. That's right. And again, going back to that urgency, you know, mm -hmm. some folks they want it right now. They're not willing to take the time to let it go through its cycles. Right. Invest in what they need to invest in for themselves. And see mm -hmm. that that makes it and when you talk about that long range thinking, this is where it really comes in because it's like if you want it right now, mm -hmm. it's only gonna last for right now. That's right. You don't have anything else attached to it. There's no goals pushing this. It's just, oh, I want to be successful. Yeah. I want to be on the forefront. Well, yeah. once you get out there, what do you do? You didn't right. plan for this. So right. once you get it, that's all you got. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when folks are thinking about being successful, they have to define what is success and why do they want to be successful and right. what do they want to be successful at, you know, and what happens if they're not successful? You know, I think these mm -hmm. are some conversations people have to have with themselves. Right. 
But one of the things you mentioned, and you you dropped this word a couple times, and I want to go back to it, and that's this word rehabilitation, you know? And I really think that, you know, that, well, I know, I know and understand that a large percentage of our brothers and sisters who go to prison have come from um, situations of depravity. They haven't mm -hmm. had much um, or haven't had anything at all, almost for that nature. And so in many regards, maybe they have not even been habilitated to begin with. Correct. Yeah. So sometimes people have to be habilitated before we can even talk about rehabilitating or habilitating right. again. Because we know that the penitentiary can break us down if we don't have the right supports. Right, because it's not geared to do anything for you outside of house you. Yeah. And that's why, like, that was one of the things that I studied, because it's like, you call yourselves the Department of Corrections, but what are you correcting? Right. Because really, you you give me three hots in the cot, and mm -hmm. you lead me to my own vices. Yeah. Either I choose to remove those vices, or I allow them to get worse. Yeah. That's not correction. I so, call it the Department of Destruction. That's really what it is. And not many of us survive it. Right. Just because we max out doesn't mean we survive the Department of Corrections. We come out in worse cases, than in worse situations than we went in in most cases. Right. And, you know, just going a little deeper for a second, outside of the mindset-wise, if you don't have yourself together in a way to know what to do with your body, your mental health. Mm-hmm. That's a lot how we come out worse. Yeah. I've had guys who maxed out and within the first 30 days, they're dead. Yeah. They can't cope with life yeah. out here. Yeah. It's totally different. They've been housed for 25, 30 years. And it's just like, yeah. this is a totally different generation I'm coming into. Mm -hmm. And that's scary in and of itself. Yes, sir. Uh, but more to your point where you was talking about people, you know, having to be habilitated first. It's true. And, you know, the problem is, I think, that a lot of people just have the wrong grounding. Mm. So it's like when we talk about habilitation and rehabilitation, you want them to have something that either they had and lost mm -hmm. or that they never had. Mm -hmm. And the problem is some of us have had it, but maybe we had incomplete forms of it. Mm. which leads to the depravity that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So my job is like, well, my workbook, the whole book might not be for you, mm -hmm. but that piece, those pieces that you might be missing, mm -hmm. you'll be able to get them out of there. Right. So what's right? the name of your workbook? The name of my workbook is the four levels of re the, hold on the four levels of reintegration. Mm-hmm. All right. So and what that means is like when we talk about reentry, you are reintegrating yourself back into society, mm -hmm. back into your family, mm -hmm. back into the workforce. Mm -hmm. So I developed four different stages, four different levels, if you will, that they can pinpoint on and sort of get themselves in the position to take back everything that they lost, mm -hmm. because part of reentry. And the reason that my business is called Resurgence mm -hmm. is because it's all about one, you coming up, you're rising like the Phoenix, mm -hmm. right? But in order for you to do that, in order for you to regain uh, who you are, you have to be willing to take that stuff back. Mm -hmm. So when you finish your incarceration, you're supposed to get your rights back. Right. 
by definition, you're supposed to get your rights back. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. Right. But you're automatically supposed to get there because you have completed your sentence. Right, right, right. You're automatically supposed to be welcomed back into society because you have hey, completed your sentence. You're supposed to be able to go out into the workforce and get a job because you have completed your sentence and paid mm-hmm. your debt to society. Mm-hmm. But the reality is this is not true for people who are impacted with the justice system. Absolutely. So I just try to shine a light and open up different uh, doors and avenues for them to use mm-hmm. because I can come behind a wall and tell people all type of good stuff. Hey, this is happening for me. This is happening for me, but it might not happen for them. Mm-hmm. So I got to make sure I paint a clear picture. Yeah. So when we talk about coming out and we're taking back everything, mm-hmm. we got to prioritize that. Right on. And again, it goes back to that long range thinking you were speaking on. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about priorities, what's most important for me when I get out? Mm-hmm. And for me, in my situation, it was my kids. Yeah, I had to get out and sit down with my kids and have that conversation mm-hmm. because they did not know. They were kind of sheltered from it because their mom didn't really want them to know right. that I was incarcerated. Right. But I sat down and had a conversation with my daughter and it was a great conversation. I really learned a lot from it. But one of the things that stood out to me was something that she said and she told me that you know she really didn't know how to engage a relationship with me because she was scared that I was going to leave again. So it was just like, wow, that's eye opening. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking, like, oh man, you know, I don't been to jail, man. They really ain't gonna want to deal with me. But it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with the abandonment issues that you have now instituted into their lives. I've been gone mm-hmm. for ten years. Yeah, man. And when we come back out into society, and we're thinking that they're gonna welcome us with open arms. Whatever amount of time that we were gone and incarcerated, we abandoned mm-hmm. society. We abandoned our rights. Like we gave those rights up. Mm-hmm. And this has nothing to do, you know, with individuals who might be falsely uh incarcerated. Yeah. But for those of us who actually did something to go to prison, mm-hmm. we abandoned those rights. Yeah. And we in order, order to get those rights back, in order to get that reputation back, in order to get that standing in society back, now you have to show that you're willing to pick them back up. Yeah. Because they didn't take it from you. You gave it to them. Right. And that's going to take you some time. Again, that process. Right. Yeah. Be it your relationships or regaining your rights or whatever it is. Right. The education, whatever. Yeah, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, we got to be willing to go through that. Yeah, we got to have patience. And so, again, your book is the four levels of reintegration. Correct. Where can people find your book? Uh, I, I have a website. And I'll, it's also on my LinkedIn page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you go on LinkedIn, you can just type my name in, Travis Abercrombie, and it'll pop up. And mm-hmm. there's a link under that website that allows you to go to it. You'll be able to buy books, uh, different types of merchandise. Okay. They even do donations and everything online. Okay, so people can go to LinkedIn and find you under Travis Abercrombie. Correct. And they can find links right there on your page. Correct book right on i wanted to make sure we give that a plug so anybody that's listening you know and might be interested in uh finding your book and uh, doing some workbook skills to maybe help themselves or get a book to send to one of their loved ones um it's important to have that information right. yeah. and i definitely do that uh if they order books from me i normally send them in myself yeah because as you know with the department of corrections family can't send good material in like that right, so right, it right. has to come from a publisher or amazon or something like that right 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 indeed indeed 
So, you know, we talked a, a whole lot about, you know, the importance of mindset and patience and, you know, processes and whatnot. You know, um, aside from what you learned while you were in the penitentiary, can you talk a little bit about the importance of having support um, when you come out and how did that help you make the transition? Okay, so for me, the support is a big factor. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was kind of surprised with mm -hmm. my support. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you know, my mom wrote me. She communicated with me by phone. She would come see me. All that is great. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really equate to support. Mm -hmm. uh, so while I was incarcerated, I sort of fixed my mind to get out and just do things independently on my own. Mm -hmm. I don't really need anybody. I love them. They love me, but let me do what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, so what ended up happening was I got out. I had everything set up because I was working at the chaplain's office. And, you know, we sort of got in with a group that was in Columbia. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to go to this halfway house, do what I do, get my foot in. Mm -hmm. Then I'll integrate back with my family. Didn't work that way. One of my first stops was coming over here to Calpins and seeing my sister. Mm -hmm. As I was incarcerated, my sister got married, mm -hmm. bought a house, mm -hmm. paid it off, everything. And I was like, man, have haven't been going that long. <laughs> so she was asking me what I was going to do. So I started telling her, hey, listen, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then I worked my way back this way. And she was like, why would you do that? Right. You've been gone too long already. Right. And I didn't have an answer for it because I didn't know what she was hitting at. And she was like, listen, I got a whole basement downstairs. Hmm. You ain't got to go nowhere. We'll make sure you got everything you need to help you get started. And then you go from there. Hmm. So instead of me shunning that opportunity, I had to think about it. You're still giving me accountability here. Yeah. Because you're going to give me some resources, but it's still up to me to do what I need to do with those resources. Right. But they bought me a phone. Hmm. Her husband owns a business. He put me to work immediately. Hmm. I was only there for 30 days because I went and found something else. But at right. the same time, he put it at, if you want to work, here you go. Here's a job. What you want to do? Mm -hmm. And it was manual labor. But guess what? Yeah. I did want a job. Yeah. I did want to show that I'm different from the man that left the streets. Mm -hmm. So they gave me, you know, different opportunities and avenues that I could use. And to me, that is support. Give me resources. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell somebody you love them all the time. That doesn't support them. Yeah. And push them and motivate them to yeah. be different or to be better. No. But you have to offer resources. Can you get me a job? Can mm. you help me get a job? If I can get a job, can you help me get the ID, the social yeah. security cards, the birth yeah. certificates, those yeah. type of things? No. That is the support that, you know, myself and other individuals getting out of the Department of Corrections need. We need mm -hmm. those type of resources because without them, mm -hmm. we're going to keep feeding the recidivism rate. We're going to go right back to prison or yeah. we're going to end up dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know lots of people end up dead coming out of there, as you illustrated, some of the men you have worked with. And so right. the same with me, some of the men I've worked with as well, and women, you know, for that matter. Mm -hmm. So being able to have someone who can plug you into resources is important. That's the important support. More right. Anything. Yeah, I could dig it, man. And so, you know, we're coming up on like some of our, um, our last minutes together, you know, um, at least for now, because I, I got a sense we're going to stay in touch with each other. Um, especially I'm in North Carolina, you're in South Carolina. So we oh, see, look at that. Yeah, we're not too far apart, you know. Okay. But one of the things I want to ask you, um, I don't always ask everybody this, but um, 
if you could talk to a, a young Travis, what would be some of the key things you'd tell him um, to help prevent him from going the route that you took? Mm. That is a great question. And well, honestly, another one too. Well, I'm going to tell you, my answer to this one, I wouldn't tell him anything. Mm. And let me tell you why. This mm. might not make sense to a lot of people. But because of my incarceration, I am a different caliber of Travis, in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Without incarceration, I would not be right here. Without incarceration, I wouldn't have the resurgence post-conviction rehabilitation program. Yeah. 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 And to me, that's very key because I don't feel for people if I've never been in that uh, situation. I can't empathize. Right. But having been through it, it's mm -hmm. like, man, I got to do something to help this situation out, to help it be better. Yeah. So it's like, I don't have any advice for him. Just keep doing mm -hmm. what you're doing because guess what? You're going to learn from those mistakes yeah. later on down the road. And that's one of the things like with parenting, we try to keep our kids from making mistakes, mm -hmm. but making those mistakes is where they learn the most lessons. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's consistent with another conversation I just had maybe an hour ago. The man who I was talking to said something very similar. He was like, you know, we can't get everything right. And it's only right. through making mistakes that we learn. Right. But I think about, you know, prison is such a traumatic experience, you know, and I wouldn't want young Craig to have to experience that trauma ever again, you know, especially the strip searches, especially the yeah. violence that happens around there. You know, I've been out over 20 years, man. I still grapple with some of the stuff I witnessed and had to go through while I was in prison. Yeah, I do too. And you know what, though? It keeps me grounded. Yeah, man. Because yeah. without those traumas, without those memories, yeah, you could easily go right back into what you used to do. But those traumas keep you from doing it because it's almost like a barrier now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Keep you from slipping back into the darkness. Yeah. So my next question I want to hit you with is if you could capture your journey in a title or say it was a, a book title the name your journey was a book title or it was on a marquee what would it say hmm. Hmm. told you I was gonna hit you with a nothing yeah that's that's a nice one you know what I would say resurgence in the making Mm. because because one of the key things about resurgence is bouncing back mm. right but we started our conversation off stating the fact that this is a process yeah so resurgence in the making would mean a lot to just my overall lifespan mm -hmm. because I went from being in one place making bad decisions then I hit Right here in the middle, I'm incarcerated. I spent 10 years, I get out. But now I'm building everything back. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, when in, talking about resurgence and bouncing back, I have more now than I had before I went to prison. Mm -hmm. And that's without a record. Yeah. So it wasn't until after I was incarcerated that I bought a house. Yeah. It wasn't until after I was incarcerated that I actually bought a car. Yeah. Right. It wasn't until after I was incarcerated, I was able to really just pour into my kids because now I have something to pour into them. Right. I didn't value relationships. Yeah. But now I have a long standing relationship that's 
in great standing. I'm not out here just messing with everybody. Right. right. Like incarceration really sort of set me in a position to sort of take control of my life. Mm. So everything that, again, that I gave up and I relinquished, I abandoned. Yeah. Now I'm in the process of taking all that stuff back. Dig it, man. Resurgence in the making. I could dig that. And when I think about the prefix re, it means to do again, Mm -hmm. to bounce back, as you mentioned, you know? And so um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to ask you. We got about two minutes. And um, yeah, I'm out. If there's some brother out there listening, some sister out there listening, um, what nugget of wisdom could you drop on them? Don't let your mistakes define you. Mm. It's always up to you to define your mistakes. Yeah. Because if we think about some of the greats, and I, the first one that pops in my head, Kobe Bryant. Mm. Right. We know he had a, a bout with uh infidelity yeah. between him and his wife. Uh public knowledge. But he didn't let that define him. He thought about it. What can I do to fix this situation? Mm-hmm. One, he got right with his relationship with his wife. Yeah. Second, he stayed in the league, changed his number. Mm. Because now the number that he had before, that 24, man, it's soiled now. You're right. All right. So now I'm gonna be number eight. Yeah. But what he did That's was he great. played at a higher caliber. Yeah. People didn't forget about it. Mm-hmm. But his success defined how they look at that mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So when these individuals are coming out, when, when they're growing up, when they're in their adolescence, they need to be knowing, learn from these mistakes. And then you, by your actions after those mistakes, would define how people view you mm. and any other mistake that you make. Absolutely. Right on. And yo, Travis, with that, I'm going to say it's been great talking with you. I appreciate your time, your wisdom, and your insight. Yeah, it was definitely a pleasure. Right on, brother. But we'll be hearing from each other. I'll reach out to you. uh, I'll probably shoot you my number on LinkedIn. 